KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. This week, one of San Diego's biggest events is back live and in person. Balboa Park, Hillcrest, and downtown are all hotspots for Pride 2022. We're talking about the meaning of getting everyone back together after three years apart and the work that's being done to keep the party safe. I'm Matt Hoffman, and this is KPBS Roundtable. Hello and welcome to our discussion this week. I'm KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman. And joining us this week are KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen, CBS 8 anchor Jesse Pagan, and San Diego Pride's bilingual program coordinator, Chris Sotomayor. I want to thank you all so much for being here with us. Let's start with Chris from San Diego Pride here. For those who maybe haven't attended a Pride festival or are curious to know more, this is a lot more than just a parade. Talking about the festival itself here, Chris, what can people expect out at Balboa Park this weekend? Yeah, so I think a lot of folks don't actually realize how big this event is. It's uh, probably the biggest in the region. Um, so we are expecting a good number of folks. So number one, come ready for crowds. Number two, please come ready for weather and come comfortable. Outside of that, uh, get ready for music, dancing, food, entertainment, activities. We have something for kind of everybody, right? Like a lot of folks think that Pride is mainly for single folks or folks that like to um, go to like parties and things like that. But we actually have a lot of family activities and a lot of things going on for young people as well. Um, So folks just need to come ready to have a good time. It sounds like a lot of fun to be had for all. And we have Jesse Pagan here, and he recently reported on the history of Hillcrest and how the Pride Parade is a big part of that history. We're going to dive more into that in just a bit. But Chris, as far as basics of the parade, what should people know about that? Yeah, so uh, parking is tough. So please check out our website, sdpride.org. We have a lot of no-cost parking options for the community. Um, In addition to that, we have kind of full details of the kind of things that you can expect as far as safety, comfort, um, food, and all that kind of thing. And really outside of that, we just want folks to come ready to to have a good time and, and experience joy that we maybe haven't had access to in a while. And Jesse, we know that CBS 8, you guys are going to be live streaming the parade on Saturday morning. Can you tell us what's planned for that show and how people can tune in? Yeah, we absolutely are going to be uh, live streaming it. Um, so essentially, we're going to be, Marcella, my co-anchor, every night at 10 o'clock on the CW San Diego. Um, we are going to be um, there uh, as it's happening in front of us and um, very much kind of uh, hosting the parade for the digital people and the digital world. So it's going to be on all of our platforms. So that means uh, CBS8.com, YouTube, Facebook, uh, our CBS8 app. Um, and pretty much anywhere else that you find CBSA digitally, uh, it's going to be on there. Marcel and I are going to take you through the entire morning, starting at 10 o'clock all the way till it finishes. And uh, it's going to be, you know, we're going to talk about all the floats that are passing by, all the events that are going on, all the kind of historic little nuggets and iconic things that we're celebrating along with Pride. A uh, bunch of guests, including, you know, CBS 8 folks and uh, uh, other community leaders uh, and all the tomfoolery that uh, you've known to come and expect from Marcella and I. And we also have KPBS reporter Andrew Bowen here with us. And Andrew, many people know you've been working in San Diego for several years now. 
What stands out to you when it comes to covering Pride or even the larger LGBTQ community here in San Diego? Well, something that's somewhat unique about San Diego, I think, is how many openly gay and lesbian elected officials we have. A couple of years ago, we had three openly gay city council members. That's a third of the city council. Uh, Right now we have two, but we also have an openly gay mayor, Todd Gloria. And uh, there's always been, or not always, but, you know, in in, uh, recent years, there's been a decent amount of representation uh, of the LGBTQ community in the state legislature as well. Um, We're still very much lacking any representation of the trans community, and uh, at least in elected office. Uh, And, of course, we know that representation alone doesn't solve all of the problems of, of homophobia and transphobia. But the representation that we do have and that has continued over the years, I think, is something that San Diego can be really proud of. And turning back to Chris Sotomayor from San Diego Pride, you know, there's so much more happening this weekend. So I'm curious, what do you recommend for somebody who maybe wants to avoid some of the bigger crowds? And I'm also curious if there's anything in particular that you're looking forward to. So for folks who uh, want to avoid kind of the, the big crowds and or not like, you know, crowd people, uh, like Jesse said, we will be live streaming the parade and parts of the festival. So you're welcome to join us digitally through those platforms. Um, in addition to that, on our website and our social medias, we are highlighting a bunch of smaller community events. We are so blessed to have so many wonderful community partners, not just other LGBTQ orgs, but other organizations. Um, so if folks want a little bit more information, they can follow us on social media or check out our website. And something that I'm really looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to the Stonewall Rally. So that is this Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. It's a time, it's a little bit more of a sober time, right, where we um, take a second to celebrate community leaders um, and where we take a second to really look at our community and not the strides that we have made, yes, and also name the things that we still have to work on, right, and how far we still have to go. So it's a really beautiful moment, um, and we'll be awarding some local leaders. I'm really excited to see them. And we know that Pride, it rivals Comic-Con for San Diego's biggest tourist event of the year. And this one goes to all of you. What do you all make of how San Diego has grown its LGBTQ community and how it's become, you know, sort of a welcoming place for people around the world? And Andrew, we'll throw this one to you first. Sure. Well, a big topic of my coverage at KPBS is housing affordability. And I think that's a really important topic to consider when we assess how, quote unquote, welcoming San Diego is. So, you know, say a young queer person is exiting the foster care system or maybe they ran away from an unsafe home. It doesn't really matter how welcoming San Diego is if that person can't afford to live here. Uh, Hillcrest became the heart and center of the LGBTQ community in part because decades ago it was a relatively affordable place to live and people who were fleeing homophobic or transphobic suburbs or the countryside uh, could find a place where they could call home there and feel welcome. Um, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Hillcrest is only getting more expensive. Looking at from from a policy angle like how the city is trying to solve that, the San Diego Planning Department right now is working on a plan to add uh, the capacity for a lot more density and uh, taller buildings in Hillcrest. There's been a lot of resistance to that in the community, particularly from uh, older and wealthier homeowners who like the way the neighborhood is now and don't want it to change. So um, that's a really important story, I think, that we have to keep in mind when we're talking about how welcoming San Diego is, and it's one I'll, I'll continue to follow. 
You know, I echo a lot of what Andrew is saying um, from the policy perspective and the hardcore perspective, uh, you know, hard business, hard finances, hard policy stuff. Um, only being here in San Diego and in Hillcrest, um, where I do live for the past year and a half, I've kind of come in um, with that growth kind of pre-established. Um, but one thing that I've noticed about Hillcrest is that um, is something that I've kind of noticed about every other neighborhood, as I like to call them, that I've lived in or that I've visited is that um, business is king. Um, you know, your local business owners, they truly are community leaders. And um, a lot of the time, neighborhoods become neighborhoods because of the business owners who have the guts and the chutzpah to say, no, I'm setting up shop here, come hell or high water, and I'm going to serve this community and the neighborhoods grow around that. And as we all know, when it comes to, um, you know, planning development and how cities develop, you know, first it was water and then uh, business. And from there, the neighborhood grows around it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, to circle around, jumping into that growth, seeing it in front of my face already. Um, and I'll tell you, Hillcrest is a thriving and very moving neighborhood. Yeah, so... Um... You know, definitely echo Andrew and, and Jesse on uh, first the importance of business and also uh, housing and the state of housing right now. Right. And obviously this this week, this weekend in particular, we are taking a time to celebrate queer joy, um, specifically because we typically don't have a lot of queer joy, a lot of instances to celebrate our joy. Right. Um, and with that said, it's also important to remember that we have a really long way to go. Um, particularly for LGBTQ folks of color, particularly for the transgender community. Um, I mean, there have been over 200 pieces of anti-LGBTQ legislation introduced just in the last few months alone, right, um, in the United States. So San Diego is a beautiful haven. I think California can, a lot of California cities can be beautiful havens for the LGBTQ community, but it's it speaks to the fact that we need to find a haven because it can be so dangerous and unwelcoming in other areas, right? Um, so honored to be in the city. And also uh, we have to give room and space to talk about what, what we still have to work on. Let's now talk about the history of Pride and how our culture is in a much different place. Pride events started in the 70s and the parade moved to Hillcrest in 1994. Jesse Pagan, you've covered that in recent days for CBS 8. What was something that you learned that you think people should know about? Um, I, I think the first uh, thing that kind of slapped me in the face as I was looking at our archives and our uh, older footage and information is just how long Hillcrest has been established. Um, you know, Hillcrest is not a, a baby kind of neighborhood. Hillcrest has been around for decades, uh, way back to the early part of the century. And um, decades ago, it was already an LGBTQ-centered neighborhood. It isn't one that's coming up through that, through gentrification or whatever development process. It's been in uh, a haven, as Chris said, in a way, um, for quite a long time. Um, uh, you know, dating again, decades back before that first parade back to the, at least to the 70s. And you sort of alluded to it a little bit, but all that archive material that you guys have over there at KFMB, it really helps tell the story. How did your team dig all that up and decide, you know, what you wanted to use or not want to use? I would love to say that there's this uh, shiny big bank vault somewhere in the KFMB station building um, with just these really old school tapes. Um, there's no vault, but there is a ton of old school tapes. I mean, KFMB, uh, we were one of the first media you know, enterprises in San Diego. We signed on way back in 1949. So naturally with that, we just have tons and tons of 
archive video of whatever it may be, which as a lot of people might know, we've been showing off through our um, News A throwbacks. Um, so the way we came around to this idea of looking back at Hillcrest specifically was um, throughout those decades, um, we've had series that just focused on San Diego neighborhoods and showing that off. I mean, we had, um, you know, Then and Now was a 1980 series that did just that and compared uh, neighborhoods from 1980 to what they looked like decades ago before then. Um, we had the Our Town series with the great, um, you know, um, Doug Oliver uh, and Connie Healy as well, jumping around there back in the 70s and the 80s as well. So we have all these pieces that focus specifically on our different neighborhoods. Um, and just recently we did a then and now kind of um, full circle moment on a lot of neighborhoods, but we didn't do Hillcrest there. And I was like, let's look at Hillcrest. Let's see what we've got, archival footage of Hillcrest. Uh, and we found some things. Uh, one was from the 1990s, uh, which uh, I was kind of surprised to see that it looked um, somewhat similar to what it does now. Um, and then before then, it was way back in the 70s, which, of course, looked a lot different. So um, we kind of took those uh, previous stories as our kind of guide. And we said, you know, if they have a shot of, you know, University and Six, let's go put the camera there today at the same angle and see the differences. Um, and so that's kind of what we based it off of. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, you have to go check out Jesse's story. Uh, but turning now back to Andrew Andrew Bowen from KPBS News, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you talked about Mayor Todd Gloria, and he recently attended a Pride celebration at the White House. Has Gloria said much about how important it is for him to have this representation in the LGBTQ community? It's not something he talks about every day, but the times that I've asked him about it, I think he definitely understands the symbolic importance of uh, his ascension to the mayor's office and the fact that San Diego has uh, an openly gay mayor. Uh, and by the way, he's uh, not just openly gay. Of course, he is um, part Puerto Rican, part Filipino, part Dutch, and he's an enrolled tribal member. He's one of the probably one of the most prominent uh, elected officials in the country. Uh, he's part of the Clinket tribe native to Alaska. Um, Gloria has had to deal with homophobia on the campaign trail. There were some really egregiously misleading attack ads that went out over uh, his support for a state bill in 2020. That's something I covered at the time. Uh, a few years ago, there were some stories of San Diego police officers that were using a very offensive and homophobic nickname for him. Uh, and then there will there are always you know trolls on Twitter on Facebook who use the fact that he's gay to mock him or criticize him. Uh, it's not to say every criticism of him is because he's gay, uh, but a lot of people kind of lean into that homophobia, which is unfortunate. Um, and so I think that just illustrates how even in San Diego in 2022, there's a lot of work to do, as, as Chris kind of alluded to. Um, we, we, are, we have not yet purged homophobia from our society. Mm. And Chris, we know that you do a lot of intersectional work as Pride's bilingual program coordinator. I'm curious, what drew you to focusing your work efforts on connecting with young people and Spanish speakers? Yeah, so I think like most folks that get into the nonprofit realm, right, you have a an original pain where this kind of um, pull toward the communities that you serve came from. Um, as a native Spanish speaker and as a person who only spoke Spanish at home, um, I felt often like I had to pick between my Latinidad and my queer identity, right? And I was a different person at home than I was outside of the house. Um, and I felt like, and I did eventually, right, have to make the choice between my identity and my family. Um, and I just, I didn't want other people to experience that, right? I wanted to help parents understand their young people, 
And I wanted young people to to find somebody like them as an adult because I didn't see adults like me, right? Um, so I, I had to. There was no other option. And we definitely appreciate you sharing your story there. And we know that a turning point in the LGBTQ movement was the Stonewall riot back in 1969. And the phrase pride started as a riot is a callback to that history. That protest spirit was revived last month with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We want to open this up to everyone here do you think that this current political environment is top of mind as people are heading into Pride this weekend? And anybody can jump in here. Um, I, I can say, you know, the day that Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, uh, one of the first thoughts that I had was, I wonder how much longer my marriage to my husband is going to be still valid in all 50 states. Uh, there is a clear appetite from at least one of the Supreme Court members, Clarence Thomas, to revisit some of the decisions that have expanded gay rights across the country, Obergfell, uh, which legalized same-sex marriage nationwide. And uh, he even mentioned in his uh, his concurring opinion, Lawrence v. Texas, which was the decision that struck down anti-sodomy laws. It is frankly bizarre and scary that uh, in 2022, we're even discussing the possibility that states would be able to make it illegal for two consenting adult men uh, to have sex in the privacy of their own home. Um, but that is where we are. We have to recognize that. And I'm sure it's going to be on the mind of a lot of people uh, coming into Pride Weekend. Yeah, to echo Andrew, I think it's it's unescapable, right? I, this is such a, it's on the forefront of everybody's mind. Reproductive justice issues are, are not just women's issues, right? They're LGBTQ issues, they're, they're human issues. Um, this is a, a human problem. This is a human issue that we have to address, right? So it, it's at everybody's forefront. Um, and we are excited at Pride at least to give people an opportunity to celebrate for a little bit. Um, and also we want to name that celebrating right now is really hard. It's really hard for a lot of folks. Absolutely. I mean, I hate to say it, to say it again, but I have to echo both of you guys. You guys hit the nail on the head. I think um, one thing that a lot of people might be uh, maybe harking back to is the fact that yes, pride is a celebration, but as the saying goes, pride was first a riot. So I think what a lot of people might be thinking about this pride season, uh, and I've talked to folks who have celebrated already their pride, and, and they said the same thing is that while we're having fun, we're also using it as an opportunity where the entire uh, LGBTQ and allyship community is together to talk about these issues that we're facing now uh, at this very moment in time. You're listening to KPBS Roundtable, and this week's discussion is all about Pride Weekend in San Diego. We have KPBS's Andrew Bowen, CBS 8's Jesse Pagan, and San Diego Pride's Chris Sotomayor. Andrew, turning back to you again, something in the news lately with the connection to the LGBTQ community is monkeypox. We've seen a handful of cases locally, including a person that you talked to earlier this week. Let's first hear a portion of that interview with Clark Marino as he talks about his experience. The testing apparatus and getting me in, although it worked very well for me, I was the only case that day that I'm aware of. Um, it took a lot of effort from a lot of people to get one person tested. And so I am afraid that if there are multiple cases, that the process is not streamlined enough. I know that vaccines are sort of controlled by the federal government, so it's really hard there. But one of the things that we could definitely do is try and get uh, testing locally. The fact that it took me close to five days to get my results back, and given that that can be as long as it takes for the virus to appear in other people, and then the vaccine's too late, um, 
they should try and get it down here as soon as possible. Our listeners can hear that full interview on KPBS's San Diego News Now podcast. Andrew, uh, why did Clark want to get his story out there, and what was your takeaway from his story? I think he wants his community, our community, to be prepared for what will very possibly be a surge in monkeypox cases over the next uh, weeks and months. Um, And before I go any further, I just want to explain for anyone who's listening that monkeypox is a lot less contagious than COVID. It's a lot less deadly than COVID. So that's uh, something to be grateful for. And it primarily spreads from skin to skin contact. Um, It can also be spread by sharing clothing or bedding uh, or even extended face to face contact or kissing if somebody has um, sores in their throat. Um, But something that we've seen in other cities that had pride events a few weeks ago, San Francisco, New York, are that um, they're seeing their case counts rise um, as more people are coming into close contact with each other, both sexual and non-sexual contact. And because, uh, as as Clark alluded to, the disease's incubation period um, before a sore start appearing on somebody's body, uh, it can be uh, as short as five days. It could be as long as three weeks. <clears throat> and so it might take a few weeks for us to understand just how much this illness is spreading right now, how, it's, how much it's going to be spreading in a couple weeks. And um, there's really no reason to believe that San Diego will be Uh, any different from some of these other cities that are seeing their case counts rise. So those limitations on testing that Clark had talked about in that clip there, um, confusions about how or where to get tested, uh, the length of time you have to wait for your test results, the extreme shortage of monkeypox vaccines, uh, all of those things I think are cause for concern for us right now. And and we should note that county officials say that they haven't seen community spread that they know of, uh, but they say that that's likely on the way. And Andrew, we've seen some examples in the past when a public health warning can cast a stigma on a particular demographic. How can reporters, you know, thread that needle in providing responsible coverage while not ignoring the risk? Yeah, this is something that's really important, I think, not just for journalists to think about, but health officials, anybody who's talking about this illness. Um, This disease is primarily affecting men who have sex with men right now, but that won't necessarily be the case forever. Uh, Diseases don't discriminate based on gender or sexual orientation. And another trope that we need to avoid is the perception that uh, gay men are somehow to blame for this disease's spread. They're not to blame. They're the ones who are suffering from it. Uh, Epidemiologists have been warning uh, of the potential for a widespread monkeypox outbreak for more than a decade. Uh, We've had a very safe and effective vaccine for this disease since 2019, and yet the federal government has failed to order enough vaccines uh, in its strategic national stockpile, and now uh, there are thousands, literally thousands of of men who are hoping to get vaccinated and will probably not be able to uh, get vaccinated for uh, several weeks or even months. So I think that everyone, uh, journalists included, need to be uh, really careful to avoid blaming the people who are suffering from this illness and instead focus their attention on the people in power who could have prevented this disease from spreading but failed to do so. And we also know that COVID-19 is still here with us. And this current variant, BA5, BA4, they're highly contagious. I'm curious, does anyone have any thoughts on how people might be reevaluating their plans for Pride or even other big summer events? Jesse, Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, so I think 
uh, I always advise folks, uh, trust your gut, right? You know your body best. You know what your boundaries are. Honor those boundaries. Um, no party, however wonderful it is, is worth you sacrificing something or being dishonest with yourself about your comfort level, right? So be comfortable. Um, also, please note our Pride event is open, open air, and it is a very, very large space. Um, so there is plenty of accommodation for you to keep safe and also honor your boundaries. You know, do, do what feels best for you. Absolutely. And also, if you want to take a proactive approach, remember that we haven't talked about it in a while as a society, but um, the COVID-19 vaccines are still there. They're still readily available. Um, if you haven't gotten your booster, that may be something that people might be looking into. I know a couple of folks already uh, who said, you know, ahead of pride, I'm, I haven't gotten my booster yet for X or Y reason. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Uh, so that may be another thing for you to do. And also, as Chris said, stay outdoors. Uh, we live in sunny, beautiful, gorgeous San Diego with perfect weather year-round. So many uh, bars and spaces and restaurants that are going to be celebrating Pride have outdoor spaces. Uh, and that's another option for you. And that might be something that people are thinking about, staying outside, maybe not going into you know, the steamy, hot room in the middle of the summer and at the bar or the club and staying on the patio instead. And as we wrap up here, Chris, where should people go for details on Pride Weekend? And do you have any other last-minute tips for those who are thinking about going? Absolutely. So please visit sdpride.org. That is sdpride.org. We have all the information on there. And most importantly, parking sucks. Please use our free parking options. Please, it's going to be hot. Please hydrate. Please, 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 please hydrate. And most importantly, I am talking to you, my queens. Avoid high heels. <laughs> Good tip. <laughs> and Jesse, if you could give us one final reminder on how people can watch the Pride Parade. Yes, uh, CBS 8 will be live streaming uh, the entire parade starting at 10 a.m. this Saturday. Uh, you can watch on all our digital platforms. That means our website, cbs8.com, YouTube, Facebook, the CBS 8 app on your phone if you've got it as well. And we're going to have to leave the conversation there. I want to thank you all so much for your time. Chris Sotomayor from San Diego Pride, Jesse Pagan from CBS 8, and Andrew Bowen from KPBS News. You can listen to the KPBS Roundtable Show as a podcast at kpbs.org. I'm Matt Hoffman. Thanks so much for being here with us. We'll be back with you all next week. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.